All right, take your Bibles out. Joel chapter 2, we'll finish that. What we're talking about here tonight is more of a timeline, trying to get you in. Uh, he gives us a time factor here and lays out, I believe, God's timeline of events here as you go back into chapter 2. And in, in verse number 27, he says, And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. They have, he's brought them back from captivity. He's blessed them uh, as they'd been captives to the Babylonians. Now he gives this other prophecy concerning the future. And he said in verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward, notice afterward, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the, thy servants uh, and upon the handmaidens. In those days will I pour out my spirit. And we know that's talking about Pentecost. And when he starts the church and he indwells the believer, both Jew and Gentile, all those who will put their faith in Christ are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now we come to a different time. If you remember, even in uh, Peter, he talks about and quotes this whole thing, and Peter quotes it as a future uh, thing that will happen. And he says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Let's pray. Father, help us. As we discern the scriptures tonight and look through these things and begin to understand uh, what you're talking about here. Lord, help us to understand this timeline as we go through that it might become uh, much clearer in our minds. Lord, just bless, exalt yourself this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. So as he begins with this timeline, he goes back and he talks about the Babylonian captivity. Then he blesses them and then he brings them back and says, now you'll know that I am in the midst of Israel. Then he prophesies about the coming and he says, I'm going to uh, pour out my spirit upon all flesh, Jews and Gentiles, everyone that receives Christ will do this. But then we come now to the events of that great and terrible day. He's taking all of this history and even the future, and he's cramming it into just a few verses, just simply giving us the timeline, the overlay of all these things that are going to happen. And that's why as we, in verses 30 and 31, notice he's, in verse 30 he says, And I will show wonders. That's miraculous phenomenon. It is unheard of things. It's the displaying of God's power 
that has not been displayed in this manner before. And we know that in, tri in the tribulation, those seven years of tribulation, there's going to be a tremendous outpouring of God in, in ways that we have never experienced at all. Now, we put this up here to try to give you an idea. By the way, it's just a little promotion for our prophecy course. We're going to be going through all of that, uh, pretty much detail. Uh, so if you want to know what we're talking about, uh, you can sit down in one hour and you can take somebody through the complete book of Revelation. It, it's all right there. You can sit down and you can just draw it out on a napkin in the restaurant or whatever. And we're going to try to equip you uh, with all of that for the Lord. But he talks about these, these wonders and what he's going to do in the tribulation. In verse 31, notice he says, the sun shall be turned into what? Darkness. And the moon into what? What's the next word? It's important that you get some of these words and don't read through them. I'll show you passages tonight that people wrap together and say they're the same thing, and they're totally, totally different. He says, this is going to happen before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Before the day of the Lord, this is going to happen. Okay? Notice in, in Revelation, turn back to Revelation chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 6. And look with me in verse number 12. He says here, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. Okay? He gives you the timeline. He tells you when he's going to do this. He said, when he hath opened the sixth seal, do you notice the arrow on that, that thing is, is pointing up to the sixth seal? The sixth seal is about the last thing that happens in the first half of the tribulation. Maybe two and a half, maybe two and three quarter years, right around that time. Uh, but it, this is the time factor, before, right before the middle of the tribulation. Okay, are you seeing that? So you know the idea where we're at. Now let's go back to the verse. And lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. Sound like it went dark, didn't it? It says, and the moon became as what? Blood. Verse 13. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind when you have a fig tree we had one in our backyard in Italy and early in the spring uh, the figs start coming out and they're, they're the, the first fruits if you please it's not the real figs these are the ones that just kind of but they come up behind a leaf and they're small, but they're really sweet. But they're, they're not the figs that you're going to harvest and use. They're just, they're the first uh, fruits here. They're the, the, the untimely figs. 
and you get a wind or something like that and they're, they're not on very tight and boy, they'll just knock off and, and you've got figs all over the place on the, on the ground. Not so when you get real figs. I mean, they're strong and they'll stay on that tree for months uh, while they're producing and, and things. So he's saying this is, this is going to happen. Few, but very devastating. You're going to have, and I've read, read commentator after commentator that, that says, well, this is, I quote one here. Indeed, it never can literally occur. And we are not, therefore, to look for the fulfillment of this in any physical fact that would correspond with what is here said. Now, you listen to me. The stars are going to fall. And it's going to cost devastation like you cannot believe. When you have all the rich men, the kings, and everybody else hiding behind rocks and asking God to, for the rocks to fall on them and kill them, it's not because you have some priest or some, some reverend or something that has gone rogue, uh, you know, making idle threats. That doesn't make the world come to their knees. But when God starts raining stars from heaven, the meteors start hitting the earth. I mean, it's going to be devastating. Now, look over in Matthew chapter 24. Now, I want you to notice this. Because so many people confuse these things and roll them together. And that's why they, they totally take Matthew 24 out of context. He says in Matthew chapter 24, in verse number 29, he says, immediately, what? After what? Did he say mid-trib? Did he say it's sixth seal? No. He said immediately after the tribulation of those days, this is happening a second time. Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. This is the final outpouring of Almighty God upon the world, and the stars are going to fall. You notice they're try the scientists are trying to shoot lasers and shoot rockets and trying to to make these meteors and these stars change course and everything. I got news for them. They don't got enough rockets. And their lasers aren't powerful enough. And when God says, I want them to start hitting, they're going to hit. And there's going to be such an outpouring. I mean, God is going to lay it level. He's going to just totally destroy things. Now, notice in verse number 32. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Even in the tribulation, even as God is pouring out his wrath, you see the grace and you see the mercy of almighty God. What a beautiful picture of our, our God. And how he loves the souls of people. And even though they have done all that they have against him. And even though he, he, is, he is pouring out his judgment. He gives them one more chance. One more opportunity. 
He said, I will show mercy. He said, I will not pour out my wrath upon you. He said, I'll stop. He said, my judgment will stop. But if you've read the book of Revelation, you'll know that they'll shake their fist in God's face and refuse to repent. Many are going to be saved in the tribulation. And that's why he says, whosoever calls on the Lord. We use that for soul winning, and, and we can, and there's nothing wrong with that, because whosoever will may be saved in this generation and in the one following. When you go into the tribulation, people will be saved. People should be saved now. The grace of God is there. His hand is outstretched to us. This also, notice he says, for. What's the purpose here? What's the reasoning behind this? He says, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. This is a prophecy of the salvation now remember, we're reading this now, but Joel was prophesying this of the future. And he says, in Jerusalem. And he says, in Mount Zion. That prophecy, that salvation was going to come in Jerusalem and actually upon Mount Zion when Jesus is crucified for the souls of men. And that's why God is pouring out his mercy and his grace to these people in the tribulation, even in the midst of all of the, the wrath that's coming from God. And that remnant of Israel, he says, will be saved. They will turn to him during that tribulation period. So you see the, the time factor. He's laying out a timetable for us. And he starts way back there with the Babylonian captivity. And then he comes to the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the starting and establishing of the church. And then he comes to the tribulation and all that's going to happen during the tribulation. And even immediately after how he pours out everything. And he says, but I've sent a redeemer. And if you'll just turn to me, he says, I'll give you eternal life. I'll save you. So someday in the future, the Lord God Almighty is going to summon all the nations at this point together to fight against Israel. Then God will pour out his wrath upon all the nations of the world as he's alluded to by other prophets. For example, Zephaniah. He said in Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse number 14, he said, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteneth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. You get the idea? We're talking about the same thing that Joel is. Several prophets uh, repeat this same thing. He said, The mighty men shall cry there bitterly. That day, is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fin cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men 
And they shall walk like blind men. Why? He says, because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust. And their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. What happens when you have meteorites come in? Just total burning. Even before it ever hits the ground, my, one of my associates over in, in, in Africa was a, a, the science professor. He was the dean of science there in, in uh, uh, St. Louis. His dissertation was on all of this. And he said, if you have the meteor, the only the size of a bus that would come in at the atmosphere, and when it hits the atmosphere, you know how the space shuttle, it just literally is fire. It turns into fire in, in front of it. And he said these meteors begin to burn up, and it just like a comet, the trail of fire is crazy. And as they come in, they're just not dropping like this. They're coming in like this. And he said, Brian, he said, if a one the size of a bus, that's it, just the size of a bus, would hit in the middle of Uganda. He said the fire coming in would be so hot and so, so terrible, it would burn half of the country of Uganda and put a mile crater. And the entire nation, he said, would be destroyed. One meteor the size of a bus. When these things are coming, he says, the day of the Lord's wrath is going to be the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even this a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. I had people, I've debated with people here a while back, uh, missionaries thinking that, that lost people are going to go into the millennial. What'd he say right here? He said, when I pour my wrath out in that final pouring out, he said that all, riddance of all them that dwell in the land, nobody's going to escape. And as he finishes that, the judgment of nations, everybody that's lost goes into hell and those that Satan and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire and then he establishes his millennial kingdom and from there we go in and only save people enter the millennial. So not only does Joel speak about it, but also uh, Zephaniah. Look in chapter 3. Let's go on to chapter 3. He said, For behold, in those days and in that time, remember, we're, we're talking about a timeline here. In those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Now, the term behold here. Is, is really a strong term here. It means to pay special attention. Not just a casual, behold. <laughs> no, 
It's a warning. It is, behold, I mean, pay special attention. Why? Because he said, in, these, in those days and in that time, after he's poured out his spirit on the church, after the church has begun, after the church has, has been established, and you have this whole crowd, it's called replacement theology, and you have the people that say, well, the church has replaced Israel. No, it hasn't replaced Israel. The church is separate from Israel. God deals with the church, and that's why the church goes in the rapture. But Israel's still in, in, the, in the world. And so all of these things, he says, in those days and at that time, he continues on and he says, when I bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, God promised to bring them back into the land. It wasn't necessarily this thing of, of the Babylonian captivity for all these other things have to take place as well. But in Ezekiel chapter 37, 38, and 39, God promises and gives us detailed information on how he's going to bring Israel, bring Judah back into his land and they will live there and be free. It happened in 1948 in our lifetime. Well, at least in some of our lifetimes, some of you young bucks. <laughs> but then comes Jacob's trouble the tribulation, and the battle of Armageddon. Look in verse number two. I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. You see, he's talking not about the Babylonian captivity because they went to Babylon. He said, at this time, he said, they have carried my people into all the different nations. They have scattered them. And that's what has happened and God has brought them back. But notice, he's continuing with that, that timeline. Notice he says in the first part of verse 2, and I will also, he said this is continuing thing, I will also, when? In the day of the Lord, I will gather all nations, every nation, all the nations of the world. You find this in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 14 and, and verse number 16 as well. Uh, we don't have time to go into all of these verses, but uh, you want to go ahead and study that out. It talks about all nations. But then we come to a conundrum. I heard that somewhere. Joel, would you look that up? <laughs> We've got a problem here. And there's no such thing as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It must have been known to them but as you go back and you try to, to find the, these places out, it's only mentioned twice here in verse number 2 and also in verse number 13. He said, put you in the sickle for the harvest is ripe, come you down. For the press is full and the fats overflow for their wickedness. Uh, and verse 14, multitudes, multitudes, the valley of decision for the day of the Lord 
is near the valley of decision. There's no valley named the valley of Jehoshaphat. So the location that everybody puts on it is merely speculation. I know people get dogmatic and all this stuff, but when you try to research it out, uh, it must have been known to them. But that actual location is not known, and people are speculating. One says that the Valley of Jehoshaphat, or Jehovah Judges, is where the Kidron and the Hinnom and the uh, Trophonon Valleys meet just south of the city of David. And they say it's also known as the Valley of Decision. But in Revelation chapter 14, verses 17 to 20, indicate that the Valley of Jezreel is this place. And it runs then 1,600 furlongs, about 160 miles. And it indicates that it's going to be the staging ground for the Battle of Armageddon. So if that battle takes place in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which begins in and around Jerusalem, it will descend down completely to the south of the Dead Sea. And if this valley then is turned into the river, it would be 160 miles. So you can, you can speculate, but don't worry about the name. Worry about what's going to happen. What he says is going to happen here. Uh, in one part, some people say it reaches as far from Basra, uh, which lies at the north end of the Dead Sea. And Isaiah, chapter 63 and verse 1 through 6, and I'll not read the whole thing, but it describes it as when the Lord, uh, who in his wrath has, has tread out uh, the blood of the nations underfoot. And, the, and it says, the one coming from Basra, his garment stained with blood. So you can kind of put together, but you can't be dogmatic on these things. So don't make God say something he doesn't say. Just understand it's in that area. And God means what he says that it's going to happen. So how in the world could this accomplish do you know how many, just a few nations that can actually agree on anything? Uh, enough, I heard tonight that people saying, well, uh, the, the United Nations, they will not send troops over to Ukraine. Uh, and others, he's saying, well, well, the, the League of, of whatever Europeans, they're not going to send troops. And, and, and America said they're not going to send troops. And all these different people are disagreeing on all these other things about like Republicans and Democrats. But how then can God accomplish that if nobody gets along and understands? I think it's very simple. It said in 1 Kings 22, 21, And there shall come forth a spirit that, and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? He said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. What did he do? The spirit of God, one of the angels, went out and just persuaded him. In verse 23, now therefore behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. God allows them to be persuaded by a lie. 
He says the same thing in the New Testament. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. When you, when you are in this age and you are not saved and the rapture hits tonight, God's church is taken out. All of those that are saved on the earth here in God's church are taken out. But if you have not been saved and you say, well, I'm going to wait until I see them go, then I'm going to get saved. You got another thing coming. Because once you enter that tribulation, if you've heard the gospel and you have rejected it, God said, I will send you strong delusion just like he did Pharaoh. And you'll believe a lie. Why? Because when they would have received the love of the truth, they denied the love of the truth, enjoying their sin and going out to do whatever they wanted to do. And God said, not going to happen. Only the lost enter the tribulation. Only the saved enter the millennium. So if you're not saved and you're playing church games, I beg you to get saved. I've led deacons to the Lord. I've led so many people. I've led preachers to the Lord. I've led students in Bible college to the Lord. People that play games, they can, they can walk the walk a little bit. They can talk the talk. But in their heart, there's never been a time when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and trusted him for their salvation. He warns us here, just like Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And that's what it is to know the truth and not get saved. Your heart's getting hard over and over. It's harder and harder and harder to be saved. And one day, it's going to be too late. And God says, now I'll harden your heart. That's a dangerous thing to play games with God. Notice, he says in verse number two, I also gather all nations, will bring them down in the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there. Again, God shows his grace and mercy one more time, even in the last, that last minute. And he says, for my people... And for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my lands. He said, I'm doing this on behalf of my people, Israel, and because of my nation that I established. He said, you did horrible things to my people, but if you'll repent, he said, I'll save you. But it says in the Bible, they would not. I, I'm, I remember chapter 17 in, in Revelation, it's all about, the, you know, calling out the 144,000 and all this and, and, and the souls of, of people that have, the Christians that have died in the tribulation gave their lives for the cause of Christ. And they say something that's is very interesting. How long, O oh Lord, 
How long is it going to be before you pour out your wrath? How long is it going to be before you avenge us of our death? Which tells me in heaven you don't know everything. There's things God don't share with you or me. But he does this, he says, on behalf of his heritage. I believe God says, okay, fellas, now's the time. And I'm going to bat for you. And I'm going to take care of this. They'd been scattered among the nations for, for, for throughout history. Israel has been maligned and, and just treated horribly nation after nation. But in 1948, God miraculously brought Israel, brought the people of Israel back into the land and established the nation of Israel just as God had prophesied. And their land, they've scattered, they've, they've divided the land. That's why you have the Gaza Strip. That's why you have Palestine, the part there. That's why you have the Temple Mount, which doesn't belong to Israel according to, the, to Islam. And they've torn the nation, divided it in pieces. And God says, uh-uh, I'm getting it back. All of it. So why will they be judged? What was their sin? It said in verse 3, And they have cast lots for my people, and have given a boy for an harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. What's that, what's that tell us? It shows you the value of life. The value of life was nothing to them. When you go to a third world country, uh, not to visit, but live there, you find out that the value of life to those people is nothing. That's why you see people laying on the road dead. Somebody's hit them, they just go on and, and, and just leave them. Sometimes they'll put a leaf over them, a banana leaf or something like that. You see people killed and they, they'll, they'll just leave them lay. They're, they're, it's not a big deal. To them. Why? There's no value of life. But I want you to notice something. Every Democrat the other day voted not to help a living child after their failed abortion. Every one of them. What's the problem? No value of life. No value. Many Republicans would probably have voted on it if it, their constituents wouldn't have screamed and hollered. But we, we have no value of life. They, people stand around taking videos while somebody gets beat on the street or some woman gets raped and they're just standing there taking the video of What's happened to us in America? We have gone back to that same type of thinking. We have no value of life. What bothers you? What really stirs your blood? 
Joel refers to the time when as innocent human beings, because life was just had little value, it, it, it was only worth something if it satisfied their pleasure. If it satisfied their greed and their, their wickedness and to, to where they could maintain control over other people. The Nazi death camps, the Jews were treated as if they were pieces of trash. And the cartels today, they treat people as if they're trash. Walk in here and they, they take this young mother with a 10-month-old baby in her arms, blow her brains out, and blow the baby's brains out. Right here in America. Just last week. The gangs blow people just to get initiated into the gang. You've got to kill somebody. You just blow somebody. No value of life. It's all for power, it's all for money, it's all for prestige. I'm now a gang member in this, in this gang. Just like the Nazis. They place, they use people and trade them. Prostitutes, little girls for wine so they could get drunk. In our day and age, we have abortion, we have human and sex trafficking, we have the drugs and the slavery and the mutilation. You know, I never, I, I heard of people getting killed when, when I was a kid. I never heard of anybody cutting them up. Dismembering their own, their own people that killed them. I mean, it, it, we have no value of life. But I want you to know something, and so is God. He says the wicked are not forgotten. They're not forgotten. God had none of this has got past God. They will pay. Look in verse 4. Yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon, and all the coast of Philistine? Will ye render me a recompense? And if ye recompense me swiftly and speedy, will I return your recompense upon your own head? These are representative of those that fought against God. Tyre and Sidon were little bitty countries. They were the smallest, most insignificant countries. And God says, if, if I'm going to deal with these small, insignificant countries, guess what's going to happen to the great big ones that have the power? They treated God's people with contempt. Tyre and Zidon. The city of Tyre was a center of religious idolatry and sex trade. Ezekiel's prophecy against the city officers, uh, they, they give a detailed picture of what God said would happen to Tyre. The commercial empire would be destroyed and its sin would, would eventually, God would destroy completely and the, he said, I will even lay it out as, as the top of a rock. I'm going to destroy everything. He said, they'll go ahead and put their nets. It's a place to spread in of nets, Ezekiel 26. Armageddon is going to be like Tyre and Sidon. He said, the mountain's going to be torn down. He said, the island's going to be removed. He said, I'm going to destroy it all. Total destruction. 
And that exactly is what happened to Alexander the Great in 332. After he had a seven-month siege, ended up just, he built a causeway out to the island and just devastated, laid everything out, took every rock to everything to where it was nothing but fit for putting your nets out there. To the Antichrist and the nations, God, God's saying, are you, are you here to pay me back when they're coming the Battle of Armageddon? Are you here to come pay me back? <laughs> you're going to settle a grudge? You think you're going to get one on me? He says, Tyre, you don't understand. It was me that you were persecuting, not Israel. It was me that you were selling into slavery. It was me that was that little girl that you sold for just a, a bottle of wine. That's what's happening. All this, they're, they're not doing it. They think they're doing it just, just for, for money or they're doing it just to get power. God says, no, no, you're doing it against me. And God says, I'm not going to let that continue. Just like Paul. Paul said, he said, you're, you're, you're kicking against the pricks. And he said, Lord, what have I done to you? He said, when you was persecuting the church, you was persecuting me. It's no different. The term recompense is a repayment which is deserved. They deserve what God is pouring out. Don't, don't feel sorry for these folks when the, when the stars start falling, when the fire starts coming when their, their tongues are hanging out because they're starving to death. God is just and God is right. And we need to stand on God's side. We reap what we sow. God's promise is that the Jews would be back in the land, that God would bring the nation or the Gentile nations to justice. They'd be judged for the sins that they've committed against God's people, Israel. They'd scattered them. They sold them. They robbed them. They divided them, divided the land. And God says, that's it. Enough's enough. Been long, long in coming, but it is coming. God means what he says. As I, as I read through all this and I see the old prophecy and what took place and, and what God says and how in, in our world, how it's just setting up for all this. And we think, oh, it w that wouldn't be able to happen. Oh, with God, it can happen. I wonder, are we ready? Am I ready to meet God? Are my children ready to meet God? Daddies, you're the head of the house and you're going to be responsible for your children. For teaching them, for bringing them to Christ, for being the example of a godly leader and all of that. I don't know if we're as ready as we want to make everybody believe we're ready. And I think I'm talking to the choir here. I, I'm, I'm talking to some godly good people. But I wonder, am I ready? Because when you see what a holy, righteous God's going to do, 
It is beyond anything we can imagine. Behold. Are you listening? I don't just want you to come and, and just be entertained by, by Joel. Not just to learn some facts. But I want you to come and, and let God speak to your heart and change me and change you. That's what this is all about. God says, behold. He, he wrote that to us. And he gives these illustrations. Now, how are we sitting? How are we standing before the Lord? Father, Lord, you've been so gracious to us in allowing us to, to have this, these prophecies and to be able to read and, and study and understand the things uh, that, that you have for us and had for Israel. And we look back and everything that you have said has come to pass in, in, in these things. And now the prophecy that's before us and we can see the love of many growing cold, waxing cold. And people, our own leaders, have no consideration for life. God, I believe we're very close to you coming. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to get ready before it's entirely too late. Father, have your way in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you just stand quickly? I'll have Brother Joel come and just get ready. But I want to give you an opportunity. You don't, have to, you don't have to come kneel down here. You can come sit in one of the front chairs. You say, well, why do I even have to move? Because moving does something in your own heart. It shows you that you're not full of pride and that you are willing to say, God... I need you. I want you to help me. I want you to change me. Lord, I want to be ready. And whatever it is, you may need to be saved. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you. Whatever God's spoken to your heart, why don't you just step out as the pianist plays and just come. Just sit down here at the front. The other day, my wife and I come forward and we couldn't get down we just stood there that's okay there's something about making that decision and moving when we're full of pride we don't want people to think oh they're they're sinners <laughs> they already know we're sinners would you come are you ready if Jesus come right now are you ready?